All right, welcome into the Undraftables Podcast, Episode 7. Kate Carlton, Caleb Livingston, back with you for another week. We think we have a, a pretty good show for you this week. As uh, for, for the first time in our show, we're going to dive into some uh, WNBA coverage. Had a chance to sit down with uh, a WNBA reporter of the Associated Press. We'll tell you more about that. Before we do anything, I'll say what's up to Caleb Livingston. Man, not a lot. Just glad to be here and uh, keeping this thing rolling. Like you said, today we're going to kind of go off what's been our script of you know yeah. women's college basketball. We're still going to keep it, you know, in the women's game. You know, I think that's kind of our uh, underlying theme of, of wanting to promote women's basketball. We're both involved in it and uh, excited to have Doug on today. You know, he's going to bring some great insight to what's going on down in the bubble. Even though he's not there, but. You know he's 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 got access to a lot of people yep. down there, and and then we'll dive in. We'll still get some college basketball. Um, you know he he does cover college basketball. He knows Mike Neighbors pretty well, and um, so really looking forward to uh, him hitting hitting on some high points of what's going on. We'll talk Carol Lawson to Duke, and and just kind of you know talking some hoops with him. Yeah, uh, got to talk like we said WNBA for the first time with Doug Feinberg of the Associated Press had some really good stuff on the bubble uh, you know talked a little bit about the rookie class and Sabrina Inescu and just a fun conversation uh, with Doug about the WNBA and as well as some national news in women's college basketball so uh, we've normally been going about an hour hour and a half so this will be a shorter episode today as we're just going to go ahead and jump right into our chat uh, with Doug Feinberg of the Associated Press right after this all right, welcome back in as uh, we're pleased to be joined by national women's basketball writer Doug Feinberg of the AP. Doug, thanks for hopping on with us this morning. My pleasure. It's always great to chat hoops. Absolutely. We have we have hoops coming up uh, here in a couple of weeks or so, uh, and it kind of worked out for perfect timing because as we're recording this on Tuesday, the WNBA schedule got released last night. Uh, you know, looking at that WNBA schedule, obviously, you know, the marquee game to open is, you know, the the Liberty and the Storm on ESPN. We get to see Sabrina Nescu's, uh debut. Just, you know, looking at that schedule, what are some of your favorite matchups, some of the marquee games you're going to kind of have your eye on over the course of the next month or so? You know, it's funny. I mean, you have that great opener with Sabrina against Brianna with Seattle Storm, and it's Brianna's first game back as well as Sue Bird since they missed last season. So, I mean, there, there's a lot of intriguing storylines with that. I don't know if there's a game I'm looking forward to per se, just in general watching basketball. I mean, we were all jipped uh, off or, or uh, um, had our marks ruined by the cancellation of the NCAA tournament for obviously very good reasons. Yep. But there's just that hunger to watch basketball again. And, and I know there's been that the tournament um, that they've shown, the million-dollar tournament, for the guys, but it just—I feel like I've been missing, missing, enjoying watching basketball, and it would be fun to watch any game I can. And there's more games on TV this year than there ever been before, so there's going to be a plethora of games to choose from, which I think is great. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's uh, you know we on our podcast and previous episodes we've talked about how the the yearning for sports and and finally we're starting to get back to it. Um, you know, you're talking about Sabrina and. And her coming into the WNBA, you know, kind of how how big is that for the league? Um, she's got her own sneaker contract. You know, every move she makes is creates social media buzz, and, and you got to think the TV ratings are gonna, 
you know, people are going to tune into her and kind of talk about how big she's going to be for the league. I mean, I, I was trying to think about this a few months ago. Like, has there been a women's basketball player that's transcended the sport in college as much as she did? I mean, you yeah. there's a, there's four or five guys that you're like, hey, you know, they're really good on the men's side in college. I don't know if there were this past year. I mean, there was Zion in the past or other guys. But Sabrina was really the name everyone knew, whether you're a fan of, the, of men's basketball or women's basketball. She just transcended the sport. And, and that can only be good things for the WNBA. I mean, she's got name recognition. She's missed triple-double. She's the first player to have 2,000 points, 1,000 rebounds, 1,000 assists in her career. She just has that that it factor. And you saw it. I mean, she was friends, obviously, with, with Kobe's family. She spoke at his memorial. I mean, she just transcends the sport. And, and that's going to help with marketing. It's going to help with her own brand um i'm not sure i mean again like new york they're rebuilding right now so i don't think they're going to be a team that's going to be making a lot of noise although with seven rookies you never know in this strange unprecedented situation we're in but she she just has the it factor and i think it's only be good things for her for the liberty for the WNBA, having her in the league and obviously in a very big market in new york when obviously they're they're back here when things start getting back to normal and obviously, there's been a lot of stars, you know, come through the WNBA the past, you know, ten or fifteen years, especially as the game has continued to grow. But uh, has there been a star kind of like her, where you know, it seemed like everybody in the country was tuning in when she played in college, and you know, it's like we talked about, just every move, you know, gets put out there on Bleacher Report or ESPN or something like that, and it seems like, you know, she hasn't even played a game, but might be one of the most popular players in the WNBA at this point. Yeah, I mean, she, she has that name, that name recognition, which in sports is so huge that people know her and people want to see her and people want to see what she's doing. I mean, not to put a plug here, but we're fortunate enough that she's just um, said she's going to do a diary for the Associated Press over the course of the entire time that they're in the bubble. So every couple of weeks, she's going to do like a behind-the-scenes update for us just of what's been going on off the basketball court, which I think is pretty cool. And the fact that people want to know what's going on with her, I think, is important. She has her own shoe. Um, she's going to be someone really, really special. And I, I think you're right. There have been a lot of people in, in the last decade or so. I mean, Elena Deladon, Brittany Griner, Skylar Diggins, who have really been out there and sort of been like, this could be the next thing to help the league. And they all have been great. And I, I just think Sabrina's sort of the, the one now that may be the, the next one to carry the torch, so to speak, for the league. I mean, she'll up for being on the Olympic team next year. She's going to have the Olympics. If not playing five-on-five, five, she might play three-on-three. Three. She just has a game that people enjoy watching. She's got a swagger to her that you haven't seen in a while. It's probably Diana Taurasi years ago. Just, you know, she, she has as it, that it factor that is you either have it or you don't, and she definitely has it. Right, and, and you know, she's she's definitely going to bring excitement and, and ratings just because, like we said, she – it, it didn't matter what almost what men's game was going on. If she was playing during the college yeah. season, you were watching, you know, because she's, like you said, a walking triple-double, you know. Now, another rookie that I'm excited about seeing because we're in SEC country and we, and I've got to see a lot of her through club basketball and, and things is uh, Kennedy Carter down in Atlanta. Um, she may be the, the most talented scorer of all the rookies coming in. Um, you know, she's – there's, there's probably a little controversy, you know. They say she ran some people off at A&M and stuff, but the bottom line is she can flat out score. What's she going to bring to the league? And, 
you know, she doesn't have the name recognition, but, uh, you know, kind of talk about her and maybe some other rookies that you're excited about seeing and, and how their game translates to the WNBA. Sure. I mean, Kenny's a, is a, you said it, she's a flat out scorer. And I think she walked into a pretty good situation in Atlanta because with Renee Montgomery sitting out and Tiffany Hayes sitting out to, to help with the Black Lives Matter movement, it opens up some playing time for her and opens up some shots for her. So she can come in and be the scorer that they need, which I think will be a big help to her game. And, and listen, she dropped 30 something, I believe, on the USA national select team um, in the, the exhibition season last year. Uh, winter and so 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 she can score against the pro level player and she can create her own shot but she also can pass the ball uh, pretty well as well i mean it's underrated she had to score more in college but she also can create her teammates and that obviously is a very important thing at the top level of the WNBA, being able to get your teammates involved and also creating your own shot so i think she's gonna have i think a really really good rookie season for atlanta um, a couple other names, I mean, Bella Allery um, and Satu Sabali on Dallas, I think would be really good. They're also two rookies walking into a situation where they'll get playing time, and they're both very high basketball IQs, and they have very great skill sets. And I, I think they're going to have two really good rookie years for Dallas. I mean, again, Dallas, a team like New York, that's probably not expected to go anywhere this year, and I'd be surprised if they do make the playoffs and, and make a push there. So it's a young developing time for them to sort of, in Dallas, get a chance to play, get acclimated, make some mistakes that everyone's going to make early on in their careers and learn and adapt from that. You know, this, you know, you talked about kind of yearning for sports and just wanting some type of sports back. Um, you know, a few months ago, the WNBA draft, they did it virtually. Uh, you know, had phenomenal ratings for it, some of the highest they've ever had for the WNBA draft. So, for that to happen and for the league to be one of the first to come back, just how much momentum is kind of on the WNBA side in terms of just, you know, having a larger audience? Well, they're doing all the right things. I mean, listen, no one knows what's going on with the virus as far as how it's spreading, where it's spreading to. Obviously, numbers aren't great in most places. But they were willing to take the risk. The league was willing to take the risk with the NBA and play in a bubble in Florida. And the players are invested in this. They made a huge jump in the CBA this past offseason, paying them more money, trying to help up marketing dollars. And I don't want to say they're all in because it seems weird to say it that way, that if it doesn't work out, they're in trouble. But, like, everyone's invested more this year, it seems, than any other time as far as TV sponsorship deals go, marketing dollars go, players' dollars go. That I think that there really is the momentum for them to have a really, really good season and to see numbers co- creep up. I mean, even if there wasn't this pandemic, and it's tough to always play the what-if game, but I think things are trending in the right direction for the WNBA, and having the yearning for sports and people just want to watch things that are live sporting events can only help them that they sort of have a captive audience, like, hey, there's, there's a basketball game on, let me watch it. And I think that could be a great thing for them as far as numbers go for TV ratings, for dollars, and things that will help them down the road. Right. I mean, absolutely. You know, we they, they are getting totally invested in, in promoting it. Um, you know, and even with – it's big news when somebody decides to opt out to not play to support the Black Lives Matter movement or because of the COVID, it's, it's making national news now. And that in itself, it, to me, is a big deal because in the past it just scrolled across the bottom line on your ESPN or FS1 and, and nobody really paid attention to it. But um, – what what are you hearing about life in the bubble right now? I know uh, uh, early on we had some you know like some people coming out, some players like ah maybe it's not as good, and and it it cost a uh, 
the WNBA to kind of step its game up. So, so what are the things you're hearing on your end of how life is going and testing and procedures and stuff? So, I want to I don't want to use the word disappointed, but I, I thought it was a little sad that within the first 24 hours of people getting to Florida, there was stuff on social media about problems. And listen, I'm old school. I mean, I'm just old. But I try to solve a problem first before I throw it out there to the public, so to speak. And I just thought that wasn't the greatest idea because nothing gets gained out of that. And listen, it was the first day. So they moved down there. They're stuck in quarantine. They're, they had to have food brought to each of their rooms or, or villas to drop off because they couldn't leave their place they're staying because of quarantine rules. Well, obviously, you're not going to have the best food situation when you have to mass produce for 400 people or 300 people. It's got better. I mean, the, the They've sent me photos of the training table where they get their food, and they they have great meal options now. And there's also, I mean, the, the, the living conditions. There were some problems in the first ones, but no one had been in those places in a couple months, so there's going to be some issues. The WNBA went right and took care of it and moved the players out who wanted to be moved. So I, I think it's just it's the nature of the business now with social media that, hey, let me put something out there real quick instead of thinking, you know what, let me see if I can get this solved before I start putting it out to the masses. But the reviews I've gotten have been really good. I mean, there's hiccups here and there, but they've been dealt with. Um, obviously, the biggest concern is coronavirus and yeah. whether it gets into the bubble. And I've heard a couple players have, have tested positive, but they've done a great job of sort of isolating them and making sure they're not in contact with anyone else so that this thing doesn't spread down there. And I think they've done a really good job. I mean, the, the reviews I've heard and from the players I've talked to, they seem to, to have enjoyed it so far after that first day or two when you're going to acclimate to your, your, your surroundings, so to speak. But, but it's been pretty good. I mean, I've, I've asked players what it's like, and I've heard a combination of summer camp rolled up with an AAU tournament, mixed in a little bit of college experience, going to the Olympic Village, and that's what it's like. And it sounds like fun. I mean, I wish I could go down to that and take part of it and see what it's really like in first person, just because it, it seems like it's a fun thing. I mean, like, listen, you're all in it together. It's you walk up down the street, you may see three players from one team, four players from another team, and that's the AAU feel to it that they said that like you see different teams I and mean, hanging out there and like being like, oh, that's your opponent, but also that's your friend. Well, and another thing that's really came out the past couple of weeks is just you know what the WNBA is going to do to support the Black Lives Matter movement and support all you know the social injustices, um, allowing you know them to put Brianna Taylor's name on the back of their jerseys, just. What all is the WNBA planning to do, you know, to stand for social justice and the Black Lives Matter movement when basketball starts in a couple of weeks? Well, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, they're, they're putting the Breonna Taylor's name on their jersey for the opening weekend. And they have the uh, Say Her Name um, and the Black Lives Matter stuff on their warm-ups. And I think it's a great starting point. They also appointed a social justice council where they have six or seven players along with some advisors trying to come up with what they can do. And things down the road, I mean, voter registration is a huge, huge part of what the WNBA players want to do. And Renee Montgomery, who I said is sitting out, is really going to focus on voter registration. She saw what happened in Atlanta for the primaries and, and just how people were waiting online for hours. It just wasn't a good situation. And that's one of the big movements and platforms that the WNBA players want to get involved in. It's how people vote and get the vote out. And that's an important thing. Um, there's talk of putting the name Black Lives Matter on the court, which I don't know if they're actually going to do or not. They may do it for the opening weekend. Um, but they're really, I mean, the, the changes they want to make and the, the fact that 80% of the league is, is African-American is a huge, huge um, part for them wanting to do the right thing and, and sort of get involved, stay involved, 
and from that standpoint. And I think you, mean, you saw players opt out for that reason to sort of help keep it moving along. Natasha Cloud's another one. Um, just trying to do things to sort of further the movement and make it a movement and just not a moment. Right. And, you know, along those lines, you've got, uh, you know, players sitting out, you know, for to to really bring attention to the movement. And, and then you get the Maya Moore story. Um, kind of talk about how neat it's been to cover that and how she's basically said that, you know, basketball is not her life, you know, and she's she's dedicated her life and her time now to helping bring light to the Black Lives Movement and the social injustice. And, I mean, she got a guy out of jail, you know, that had been in there for, for years and, and kind of how – I mean, that's that's got to be another, you know, really shining moment for the WNBA that one of their players who's one of the all-time greats when she was playing – uh, was able to do that, and, and it's got to bring good publicity to the to the WNBA. Yeah, I mean, what 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 a unbelievably special story. I mean, how many athletes, how many people would walk away from their job at the peak of their careers to go do that, to help somebody who's put in jail for the wrong reasons and was really innocent in a sense, and put a career on hold to help him get out of jail and help with criminal justice reform. And just, I mean, I say it on Twitter and it didn't even like, I think, do it justice, but like that really has been the biggest win of her career. And that's a person who won two titles in college, has won a couple WNBA titles, didn't lose many games in high school or AAU. And like she helped free a man, a friend of her family's and Jonathan Irons. And just, I mean, that what a special moment. I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen the video of when he was released and how she was just so happy. And just, I mean, that that is something that, Wins and losses, you always say it's cliche, but they, you don't remember them down the road, how many games you won or lost. But that's something that she's going to remember, he's going to remember, and people remember for a long, long time. And it's something that she, she champions this cause. She still will champion the cause of criminal justice reform. And just, you're right, I mean, it was such a positive reaction by everybody. It was such a great thing for, for her, for the league to have that shown. I mean, people are talking about it, and, and she probably deserves a, a medal of freedom or whatever you want to whatever award but that's not why she did it she did it because she saw something was wrong and wanted to fix it and, and she did a tremendous job helping out her family friend and really i mean it's it's one of the greatest stories i've seen in, in this year of obviously many sad and bad stories but something that's a, a hope and a ray of light and something that Maya Moore did well obviously that was a great story there's been a lot of positive come out of the WNBA over the last couple of months um but one of the negatives we've seen in the last couple of weeks is uh, Kelly Loeffler with the Atlanta Dream, you know, kind of sending that letter to the NBA saying not to allow the Black Lives Matter and social justice messages on the jerseys. Um, you know, obviously a lot of players have reacted to that. So where does the WBA kind of go from here and how have they tried to distance themselves from her? You know, it, it's strange. I mean, First off, who sends letters anymore? Usually it's just an email or <laughs> from that standpoint, but you actually yeah. sent a letter to the, the commissioner, Kathy Engelbert. I'm not sure. I mean, I, I don't get involved in politics. Right. But clearly she said what she said because she's running for a, a race in November and it helps in her mind energize her fan base from that standpoint. But it obviously was not the, the right thing to do. I mean, her and her co-owner, uh, Mary Brock, has been silent in this whole thing. I believe we're the first and only um, all-women's group to own a team in Atlanta, a, a sports franchise. So credit to them from 10 years ago being going out and, and, and being part of the Atlanta franchise. 
her comments about her not knowing that they were doing this, I mean, Christian um, Engelbert said that she wasn't the governor of the team, so she shouldn't or wouldn't have been involved in the day-to-day operations of the team. She hasn't been in a couple of years. So her not knowing is not that much of a surprise. Um, just sad. I mean, the players, I think, took the high ground. Renee Montgomery, I thought, had a really poignant um, – better of her own social media post saying, hey, you know what? I'm disappointed what you said, but, you know, let's sit down and talk. Like, let's have a conversation about this, which I think is the is the right thing to do. Like, sit down and have an adult conversation about your her, uh, Senator Loeffler's thoughts, um, Renee's thoughts, the player's thoughts. It, it's tough. I mean, I don't know if the league can force her out as an owner. I'm not sure what clauses she broke. you curious why she'd want to be an owner, if she just believes that and, and sort of doesn't support what the players um, believe. But, I'm not sure. I don't know what the end game of this is going to be. I mean, she's obviously damaged her um, credibility with her team, um, and they have to walk a fine line. I mean, obviously the coaching staff is paid by the owners as are the players, but it's a situation where I think they've all said the right thing from the player standpoint and from the coaching standpoint. We'll see what happens down the road. I mean, it's sort of quieted down a little bit right now. I think once things start heating up and actually start playing games again, if, if there are more comments made, we'll, we'll ramp back up. There's, I'm guessing some stuff behind the scenes going on with the league and the ownership group to discuss maybe what they, the end game might be for, for that situation in Atlanta. You know, and now to kind of transition to on the court and, and what this might look like, um, which, which team do you feel is kind of best equipped to handle this, this scenario of being in a bubble and – you know, you know, multiple stars sitting out, and and who might be a dark horse that maybe didn't have as many, uh, you know, big name players sit out, or they've got some really good rookies coming in. Uh, kind of, you know, give us a couple pe- teams that you think are favorites, and maybe a dark horse that might surprise some people. Sure, I mean, the, the favorite I would think right now is Seattle, in the sense of just the players they have assembled on that team. They won the championship a couple years ago. And then Stewart got hurt, Sue Bird got hurt, and it's like they didn't really get a chance to defend their title, so to speak. And with the emergence of Natasha Howard last year um, and Jordan Canada replacing or filling in for Sue Bird, I think they're deep. I think they're really talented. Um, obviously, you have players coming off injuries. You don't know how quickly they're going to get back to where they were, but from everything that Stewie said, she's in, in fine condition. and. Sue's been doing this forever, so she knows what she needs to do to get herself ready for a season, and having Jordan Canada there sort of as a co-point guard or backup point guard or playing them together will only help uh, help her in the, in sort of, as far as saving her legs. So I think Seattle's probably the, the clear-cut favorite because they have their whole team there, and then obviously they were the, the team that beat two years ago. Um, I think Phoenix is probably pretty good with, with Tarasi and, and Griner returning, and then you add in Skylar Diggins getting another guard I think is pretty good to make them a team that could be tough to beat down the road, especially if you're playing a playoff series. And I would never bet against Diana Taurasi in any one game playoff again, if it comes down to that. Um, Washington, defending champions. I mean, obviously they're probably hit more than anybody else as far as players opting out with Natasha Cloud and Latoya Sanders sitting out. And now the news the other night that um, Elaine Deladon's petition for medically excused by the league's doctors or the league and union, sorry, uh, independent panel of doctors is denied. Um, so she's deciding whether she's going to come down to play in Florida or not. Uh, she has the Lyme disease she's battling for over a decade. I don't think she'll be there. Tina Charles, who they also acquired um, in the offseason, is in that medical panel as well. And I don't know if she's going to go down. So they've probably took the biggest hit. So for defending champions, they might have a tough road to get back to the playoffs and the finals. 
Um, I like Minnesota. I think Cheryl Reeves done a nice job. They're, they're saying all the right things. I mean, you're right. It's not just about playing in the bubble. It's like the mental aspect of it. And they're like, yeah. they're sort of like brushed off. You know, something goes wrong, we'll adjust to it. Like, they're not going to go out there and complain. I think it's it's a mental battle as much as a physical battle for teams. I think Minnesota is going to be pretty good. Chicago, which last year lost on a crazy shot to uh, Vegas um, to get knocked out. I think Chicago's all the pieces back. They could be pretty good. So I'd say Seattle, Chicago, and Minnesota are probably three up there in the mix. LA is pretty good as well. Those are the ones. I mean, dark horse. I wouldn't be surprised if a team comes out of nowhere just because they're so used to each other and playing well. And, and the, the New York is a young team, but they're sort of like that college mentality. Like, hey, we're used to this. You know, we played in college. We kind of roomed together in college or lived in suites together. So being young might help them that they're whatever. They don't know any better, so to speak. You don't know what you don't know. And New York could be a team that I'm not saying they're going to win the title, but they might surprise some teams and maybe make the playoffs, which I think would be a huge step for that franchise. You know, we kind of talked about some of the rookies. You know, we were excited to get to see play. But obviously it's going to be easier for the rookies, you know, to get through this season. But uh, you go up to the veterans like a Sue Bird, uh, maybe it's not going to be as easy. So, you know, in terms of the veterans, who are you excited to kind of see play and, you know, maybe kind of showcase their talents down in Florida? I mean, you have a whole group. I mean, we mentioned Brianna Stewart, Sue Bird, Vance, Ross, and Scott Diggins. Yeah. The four of them all missed last year for the most part. And, like, that's four huge, huge players that are coming back. And I'm excited to actually see them play again, which I think would be great. I mean, they're always great to watch them play. They're, they're dynamic. I mean, Diane Trust is all-time leading scorer. Superbird's the all-time leading assist uh, helper, giver. Um, Stewie was the MVP a couple years ago. And, and Skyler is always excited to watch players with fire and intensity to her. So that's four players right there, four veterans that I'm excited to watch. Candace Parker in, in L.A. is really have an unbelievable broadcasting career since she started doing that, but also is, is so much fun to watch on the court when she's playing well. And I think L.A. is a team that could be pretty good as well this year. I mean, those are probably the five biggest names I think that would be fun to watch play in this season, assuming they can stay healthy and, and, and such in this bubble situation. Um, you know, how, how different is it going to be for you not, not being able to, to be there live and covering games, you know, because, you know, the league's not allowing media to go in the bubble and – Kind of talk about that experience for you and, and other media members of, you know, like it's just going to be different and how you how you plan to adjust and, and, and kind of still get the, the coverage of, that the league deserves out there. So that's a great question. I mean, part of me is sad because obviously I love going to basketball games. I mean, there, there's not much more I enjoy in this world than being at a court and watching a game and, and sort of taking it in that way. And I love watching on TV, but, you know, it's just not the same. It's not the same as being there and, hearing the sneaker squeak and, and talking to coaches pregame or players pregame and such. So I'm going to miss that. But credit to the league. I mean, in the first week or so we've had a training camp, I've had access to players and coaches that I never would have had if we'd been in a normal situation. And by that, I mean these Zoom calls that they put on for the media. And I've been able to go to all 12 training camps, so to speak, and talk to players and talk to coaches after practices where if we were in normal times, I go to, I'm based in New York, I go to New York Liberty practice or I go to New York Liberty game. And I talk to them, I talk to their opponent, and that was it. And I'd have to sort of schedule phone calls or such if I want to talk to a coach or a player on a different team that wasn't in New York. Well, now I can zoom in and literally talk to anyone I need to. And that to me is, is going to only help the league grow by giving access to more people to be able to talk to its star players. And I think that's the 
again, I'm a glass half fill kind of guy. That's, I think, the, the one one of the few pluses out of the situation with not being allowing media in the bubble. I mean, listen, I would love to go there. I think it would have been a fun thing to do, to be part of something unique and hopefully a one-time only experience and just the stories you could tell from being down there. But as I said, I mean, I'm getting a chance to, to sort of jump on and do more things because I'm not at a game or at a practice or, or at a training camp that I can can sort of jump into 12 of them and sort of get a taste of everything, so to speak. You know, obviously, the WNBA has done some good stuff with this bubble, uh, but, you know, coronavirus cases continue to kind of go, go up worldwide. Just uh, how much optimism do you have that we're going to finish this season once it gets started? And how difficult is it going to be, you know, to go the full three or four months? Uh, again, I'm a half uh, full kind of guy. I think it can work. I, I, I credit to the players and the coaches and the staffs for wanting to sacrifice to be part of this bubble. And they're going to do everything they can to make sure that this thing works. And listen, I, I thought there are a couple coronavirus cases down there. The Indian fever had a couple right before they were going to travel. So they said, you can't come until you're clear. And they came down a couple of days later. And the players that have gotten it down there, the couple that there are, they've isolated them. So they're doing everything they can to make sure that this thing works. And I think they're in better shape. And I think the NBA is in pretty good shape itself. But with only 137 players, whatever the number is right now, and there's probably about 200 people or so, 250 people in the bubble, it's the most contained and probably the smallest of all the sports that it's easier to self-contain a situation if it does arise. Whereas, I mean, the NFL, there's probably 2,000 people when this thing, if it gets started and containing that, good luck with that. Same thing with baseball. But yeah. being in this bubble and, and doing what they can to contain, I, I would say there's a pretty good chance that they'll be able to to definitely start it and, and most likely finish it without too much trouble. At least I hope that they will. Yeah, we're, we're all on that same page as of hoping that at least we can, you know, get the season played and, and, and finish it. And, and hopefully the, the NBA is in the same same boat as well. Um, kind of transitioning to some, some women's college basketball. We know you cover that as well. And kind of the big story here in the last week has been uh, the opening at Duke and with uh, Joanne McCallie resigning and – uh, them hiring Kara Lawson, um, you know, kind of came out of nowhere a little bit. But when you sit back and look at it, it may be a really good hire for Duke. Kind of what are your thoughts on on that hire and that situation? So I, I have a couple thoughts on it. First off, with Joanne uh, McCauley leaving, I give her credit for doing that in a sense because she could have gone through the year. They weren't going to renew her contract. She was in the final year for her time at Duke and it would have been a weird situation if she had stayed and players knew coaches knew that she wasn't going to have her contract renewed and she was sort of a lame duck that would be a weird way to go into a season how do you recruit that way how do you motivate the players that way so kudos to her for stepping down and leaving and letting them find a new coach so they can sort of move forward so to speak and I mean they hit a home run slam dunk whatever phrase you want to use in getting Carol Lawson I mean she, she is such a personable person that everyone who meets her feels charmed by her and feels that she's just a great, great person, great leader, great coach. And I think she's going to do a tremendous job there. I mean, she had her introductory press conference uh, yesterday on Zoom, and she charmed the crowd, so to speak. She said that she, she had talked to Brad Stevens, the, the current coach of the Boston Celtics, and his wife a few times, and mentioned early on, hey, you know, there's – if I was going to leave, there might be one job or two jobs I'm interested in. Duke's one of them. And she didn't go out and petition for it. She just mentioned that. 
And sure enough, Duke opened up, and she's like, I want to get this job. I want to go for it. I think I, it's, it's an unbelievable university. She told a story the other day, yesterday, that um, when she was an undergrad, she went to Tennessee and obviously had a great career under Pat Summit uh, as a player, made the Final Four every year, and just, I mean, had an unbelievable college career. Her mom wanted to go to Duke. Her mom wanted to go to Duke to get the education. Her dad wanted to go to Stanford to get education. She just had to see and obviously worked out well. But, like, Duke has always been on the radar for the last 25 or 20 years or so. And now she gets a chance to sort of turn that program back around. I mean, they haven't been in the top three in the ACC. And since the ACC brought in their name in Louisville. And I think she'll do a great job. I mean, I hate to phrase it this way, but of all the programs, if there's no college basketball season this this winter, and I really hope there is, obviously. I mean, again, we love sports. We love watching. I love, we love college basketball. But the Duke team she's inheriting is not that great. They've graduated a lot of people. They didn't have a great class coming in. It wouldn't be the worst thing if they don't have to get on the court and play games. I mean, obviously you want them to, but they're probably going to go through a rough first year for her as far as she's having the talent they have right now, and she's doing a great job with them. But they're probably not going to be in the upper echelon of the, of the ACC. So getting here just to recruit people could actually help that program. You know, just the magnitude of that hire. If you don't know her from her playing days, uh, you know her from a broadcasting career, or you know her as being a Boston Celtics, you know, assistant coach, uh, to get a national name like that, just how big is that for not only Duke, but the state of women's college basketball as well for Kara Lawson to be at Duke? Oh, it's huge. I mean, there's no question. I mean, Duke is probably still one of the top 15 jobs in the country that people want. And even that's after a couple down years. I mean, they just support basketball down there. Obviously, Cameron's one of the greatest places to play. I've had the pleasure of actually playing a couple of media games there. I fly down from New York to play in a media game they organize in Cameron just because it's Cameron. So that just tells you how special that, that right. building is. And, and Coach K is obviously one of the greatest, if not the greatest, men's coaches of all time. And Kyra has a great relationship with him already from when they were together in 2008 at the Beijing Olympics. She got to know him. She was playing for the USA women's team, he was an assistant coach on the men's team, or head coach, I forget, but just they get to know each other, and they have a great relationship, and obviously having a great relationship with Coach K is an important thing to have if you're going to be coaching on the women's side at Duke, and I think, I mean, it's a home run for, for the, the school to get her, um, as she is a, a bright young coach. People, Some people were saying, you know, she has no experience as a head coach in college, and her first comment when someone said, what are you looking for an assistant, is experience. So she knows what she's strong at when she's not, and she will fill those assistant coaching spots with people who know what they're doing as far as being veterans of the college game, I'm sure, and that will make life easier for her transition to it. I mean, broadcasting helped her. She was around some of the best coaches in the country as far as going to a, to a gym before a game and sitting and watching practice at the college level, so she saw all the best of the best. Working for the Celtics for years helped her out as far as like learning the pro game and working with Brad Stevens, who obviously was a, a great college mind and great pro mind. And just relationships. I mean, she coached USA basketball. So, on three year was there, I don't know, the term they use, like overseer or, or uh, they don't actually have a coach. They have someone who sort of uh, works with them. That's what she did. And she gave a great story about how when she was working with a team that was down in Buenos Aires, I believe it was, she said, they won the gold medal. The next year, she had another team that went to Mongolia. I think it was last year. And she tried to put in the same plays that the team two years ago did, and they were, they were terrible. It just didn't work. And she's like, you know what? We can't use the same stuff. We have different personnel. And just adapted what she did, and the team adapted to using the new play. So I think she's 
going to see what her personnel is and be able to adapt to what they have and become a better coach that way. So I think it's great for the sport having her involved in it again. I mean, I loved hearing her broadcast, and it's great to have her now on, on the silence as a coach. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, kind of transitioning into more, you know, women's college basketball, we're going to go with glass half full. Let's say we have a season this year. Probably it's going to be shortened, but let's say we do. What are some teams and players that maybe you have your eye on that that might could could adjust to a shortened season and you know pull through and and you know a couple two or three teams that might be able to win a championship? Well, I don't want to get in trouble here since you guys are in the SEC country, but obviously South Carolina is a team that's really really good has a, a, almost all their pieces back and I've graduated a couple to the WNBA, but that freshman class was unbelievable and Dawn Stelly's brought in another strong group. I got to think South Carolina is going to be one of the top teams in the country, um, whether they play a full season, partial season, any season. South Carolina is going to be really, really good. And that's obviously to start there. Um, I think, I think, I'll stay down in the ACC. I think Mike Gabriel is doing a great job building Arkansas to being a power. Um, I think they're going to be pretty good. They were in the top 25 last year for a couple of weeks, and I think they're going to keep on growing. Um, I think that Texas is going to be reinvigorated under Vic Schaefer, who did a great job, obviously, at Mississippi State. I think it may take a year or two for them to get to get better, but I think that he's going to have them on the, the, the rise, so to speak. And obviously UConn. I mean, Gino Ram is the, the greatest women's coach of all time. Has built that program up. They, they've made every Final Four um, since I've been covering it, obviously, except for this past year, but no one made the Final Four this year, so we'll keep that streak going, so to speak. And they're bringing, I think, the most exciting freshman in the country in Paige Buker. So UConn will be in the mix as well. Oregon obviously took a huge, huge hit to graduation, but Kelly Graves has built a program there. As great as we talked about Sabrina Ionescu, she wasn't just a one-player uh, franchise, and they have a, established a program there. I think Kelly Graves will have Oregon back in being one of the top teams in the country, again, if hopefully when we play this winter. Yeah, kind of going back to UConn, I mean, if we did this interview – 10 five even five years ago i think the only answer would be yukon you know i mean talk you know kind of talk about how the the game of women's basketball has grown to where i mean you didn't mention yukon until fourth you know and and they haven't yeah. they haven't won a national title recently you know even though they've been to the final four and just kind of how good is that for the game and 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 continuing to grow the women's game oh it's great i mean listen people go to movies and they kind of know what the ending is going to be sports. The joy of is you kind of know what you don't know what's going to happen on any given night. It's not, it's not a given. And the only caveat to that is, well, if UConn women's team was playing four or five years ago, you kind of knew they're going to win every game. It just seemed that way. I mean, they had the 111 game winning streak that was, was ended on a last second shot by, uh, as everyone knows, uh, Morgan William and Mississippi state in overtime that like, if they hadn't lost that game, they lost another game, to, I think, to Notre Dame the year after in overtime on a shot by Enrique Ogunbowale. Like, they would have won probably 200 straight games, which is unbelievable, unfathomable, unimaginable in sports. It's to win 200 games in a row. And the bar that, that Gino set there and the, the players set there is like, if you don't win a national championship, it's a lost season. And think about that. I mean, only one team will go home happy every year. And if that's what you say you need to do to be successful – that is an incredible bar to set. And they've beaten the Final Four every year. And there I said a couple of shots going a different way from winning a couple more championships. And it is good for the sport having more teams involved. I mean, South Carolina, Don Stelly's built that program up to be the number one in attendance in the country and one of the top teams in the country on the court. And that, that's a testament to her and what she's built there. 
And it is good having more teams in the mix, more teams able to win. And I think players are starting to see that more. I mean, the Pac-12 has really been on the rise in the last four or five years. Stanford obviously has been the, the flag bearer for the last 20 years, but Oregon and UCLA and Oregon State's been on the rise and Arizona State. Arizona has probably one of the most dynamic players in the country, exciting and um, Ari McDonald, who's coming back this year. And I just think it, it helps the game. The more people that are out there have a chance to win, the more fan bases are excited and the better it is for the sport. And there's been more TV coverage. I mean, the Pac-12 network, the ACC network, the SEC network allows fans to watch their teams play more. And the more you can watch somebody, the more you get excited about them. Obviously, uh, we'll be keeping our eye tuned to the WNBA coming up in about a uh, week and a half. And, Doug, we appreciate you taking so much time. Uh, before, you let, before we let you go, just kind of tell uh, everyone how they can uh, keep in touch with you and uh, get your great coverage from the WNBA when it starts up in a week or so. So the joy of the Associated Press is that I have no clue where my stuff goes. It stands, in a sense, you're really <laughs> joke for all papers. You can find my stuff really anywhere in the country, which is great. It's a wonderful thing to say. Obviously, I use Twitter. You can follow along there. Just my name, Doug Feinberg, easy enough. Um, but there's a lot. Of, I mean, here's the other thing we didn't mention a little bit, but the coverage that the WNBA has gotten, just more outlets getting involved, right. more media getting involved has been wonderful. So you can find me at Doug Feinberg on Twitter, or just if you Google my name, you'll probably find the latest thing I wrote about the W or the college basketball. Doug, appreciate you taking so much time, and uh, can't wait to see your coverage from the WNBA in a couple of weeks. Thanks, guys. Stay safe and stay healthy. Absolutely. Good talking with you. Will do. That's Doug Feinberg joining us this morning. All right. Thanks to uh, Doug Feinberg of the Associated Press for hopping on with us uh, this morning. Some great stuff with him. Um, talking about uh, WNBA, obviously, he's big on the uh, Seattle Storm. Got to jump into uh, some women's hoops as well with the Carol Lawson hire and just uh, obviously him – Pegging South Carolina is one of his favorites uh, next year, but uh, some good stuff with Doug this morning. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he kind of gave you, gave everyone some insight of you know, even though he's not in the bubble of what's going on, and yeah, he he seemed really excited about, even though he wants to cover the games live, that this has actually helped him, and and kind of, you know, gave him you know more people to talk to that when we do get quote unquote back to normal that he'll still have those relationships with. And so uh, so his coverage and, and just coverage in general of the WNBA is going to be, I think, incredible this year because down there in the bubble, I mean, why won't the players, coaches do Zoom stuff? Because yeah. what else do they have to do, you know? And, and it's just going to help promote the game and um, just some really good info. And, and you know, you kind of – you have to, have to agree with this pick of Seattle, you know, maybe being the favorite, especially if Stewie comes back. I mean – you know, she yeah. was the best player in the league when she got hurt, and and then like he said, they had some some players step up last year, and, and now they get Stewie and Sue Bird back. You're talking about Sue Bird's, you know, got to if you made an all-time starting five of the WNBA, she'd be the point guard, you know, yep. and and Stewie may end up going down, potentially as maybe the all-time greatest player when it's all said and done, you know, and um, so definitely got to got to go with them, but. It's just going to be exciting to get hoops back, you know, and that's that's kind of what he kept hitting on. And you know, it's cool to cool to talk to somebody that's in a different part of the country and and, yeah. and what they're going through. And uh, it is really good conversation. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so thanks, Tim, for taking so much time. 
uh, this morning like him. Uh, we're all looking forward to kind of getting basketball back, uh, especially getting the WNBA back with the marquee game of uh, the Seattle Storm and the New York Liberty first game on ESPN, which is going to be massive uh, for the WNBA. So um, excited about that. Hope you guys enjoyed uh, her interview with Doug Feinberg today. Uh, but I don't think that's the only time you'll hear from us this week. I think we have a bonus pod coming up yeah, on hope, Thursday. Hopefully, you know, Thursday, you know, or yeah. maybe Friday. Just depends on uh, how we can, you know, get the logistics scheduled and stuff. We'll we'll kind of, you know, just do a little 30, 35-minute, just kind of l- give our opinions on what's going on. Not that you want to hear that, but, hey, that's why we do this, and you don't. So <laughs> uh, I do got to give a shout-out to the Baltimore Orioles and Coach Smith, yep. you know. Can't um, forget that. You know, who knows? I, again, he, he may end up winning some money because players are dropping like flies. So, But I wonder what happens if they don't finish the season. Does he, does he get his $2 back? Man, I don't know. That's that's a, that's a lot of money to lose right I there. I mean, that's it's, two Diet Cokes right now. <laughs> but anyway, it, yeah, looking forward to, you know, getting a, getting a little bonus pod. And, and always fun to do these. And we hope we, you enjoy them. And, um you know just kind of bring different perspectives and tell people stories and you know that's why we're here yep no doubt uh again as always any guest suggestions always hit us up for that um, more willing to more than willing to try um and fulfill that request but uh should have a bonus pod coming out later this week but until then for kayla livingston and for doug Kleinberg, i'm kate carlton so long everyone have a great day <laughs>